listening to the Psych Central Podcast, where guest experts in the fields of psychology and mental health share thought-provoking information using plain, everyday language. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Podcast. Calling into the show today, we have sex therapist Lori Watson, who is the host of the podcast Four Play Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. She is also the author of Awakenings Counseling for Couples and Sexuality and is a licensed marriage and family counselor. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Gabe. This is fun. Well, I have been really looking forward to this for a while because While sex is everywhere in our culture, productive conversation surrounding sex isn't everywhere in our culture. We (laughs) we have the salaciousness of sex, right? But the actual mechanical workings and understanding and, you know, dare I say, intimacy of sex is severely lacking in our culture conversationally. That is so true. I mean, while we are kind of a porn-saturated, sex-saturated culture, you know, what is missing from that is the intimacy, the connection between two people. That is not being talked about, let alone understanding the differences between people and their bodies. We don't have very much information about that. And, And where do you go and get it? Well, and you can go on the internet and get it and you run the risk. On one hand, you could run into an article written by you, uh, Mm -hmm. which, which has great information and will help you be more intimate with your partner and be a better lover and have better sex. You could also run into an article that shames you for wanting to have sex, or you could run into an article that just gives blatantly misinformation, which of course, if you try it, isn't going to work and it's going to make you feel bad. And then, of course, there's everything else under the sun. Right. As a sex therapist, how do you feel about all of that competing information? Because on one hand, like you said, we talk about sex constantly. But on the other hand, we don't have productive conversations about sex and sexuality. That's right. I think that when I talk to people about sex and when I go and lecture, what I'm saying seems to be brand new information. And so that tells me that the competing information out there is not necessarily hitting people in a way that helps them improve their actual workings in the bedroom. And some of what I read is discouraging to me. There is so much misinformation, like things like put on the internet to have a better orgasm, strengthen your Kegel muscles. And that's by and large, not true. So people are misdirected and there's very little that talks about to have good sex We need to feel that the sexual connection between us and our partner is secure. And there's all kinds of different types of sex, right? The type of sex that, for example, I might like could be different from the type of sex that my partner likes, and neither one of us are wrong. There's not a a correct way to have sex and an incorrect way to have sex. There's a lot of preference, correct? That's true. And many people, this is where they get hung up in their sex life. You know, one person wants sex more frequently than the other person, or one person wants to do something, a sex act that the other person feels is wrong or, you know, immoral or icky. This preference issue is a big place that couples stumble in terms of getting on the same page with each other. And and it can become part of a power struggle that really separates them from even hearing it. You know, we're so threatened by hearing what our partner wants that might be different than what we want. We can feel like, oh, you know, my partner is going to think I'm frigid or I'm a bad lover or I'm not very inventive. 
we really worry about that kind of stuff. And then it shuts down good conversation that could be productive. I think one of the biggest, I'm going to say lies that is out there is that couples should be orgasmic at the same time, that having an orgasm together <laughs> is the goal, because that that's how you see it in television and movies, etc. And I learned in preparation for this show, and because you know I'm over 40, that that is so incredibly uncommon. That likes to never happen. But most people feel that they must be doing it wrong if it doesn't happen, even though that's just biologically unsound or or <laughs> it's atypical, right? That's right. It is very atypical. And couples come in, they want that as a goal, and they feel like they've failed if they're not having simultaneous orgasms. But it is a blue moon that that happens. I think the other big myth that is out there in heterosexual couples is that the movie clip looks like it's a 90-second event. She has her back up against a rough tree. Nobody touches her clitoris, and somehow <laughs> or another, she has a wild orgasm. Right. And that just is not true. Most women do not orgasm through sexual penetration. In fact, only, Gabe, 7% of women have orgasms through sexual intercourse. And a lot of women come in and say, you know, I'm broken. I'm not doing it the right way. I, I can't do it the real way. And their partners feel so inadequate. I can't get her there just through sexual intercourse. And can't we make that a goal? And what's wrong with me? Am I not big enough? What's the problem? I mean, the movies and the media show something that is utterly false. So as a sex therapist, people are coming to you because they have a problem in the bedroom. But what you're realizing is that they don't actually have a problem in the bedroom. They don't understand how sex works. Yet it's risen to the level of seeking professional help to fix something that was never a problem anyway. As a sex therapist, how do you handle that? Because I imagine that just telling them, oh, no, you're wrong. It doesn't work that way. Isn't going to undo what is probably their entire life's experience of how sex works. You're right. I mean, many times people enter a sexual relationship with a lack of information. They really don't have the goods that tell them about their own body, what's supposed to happen, what happens in their partner's body. If there's a gender difference, it's very hard to put ourselves in the other person's place. And we don't know what their body feels. And so we're kind of working in a mystery. Last night, I sat with a group of women who our low libido, and we're running a group in our clinic for this. And one of the women took her about 45 minutes to reach orgasm, and she needed a lot of stimulation, and she needed her mind to get engaged, and she wanted her husband to be seductive. I said, what you are experiencing now is really normal. I know you're disappointed, but I got to tell you, you are dead center with what most women experience. So she didn't know what other women were experiencing. Oftentimes, again, one more issue with heterosexual couples is we compare ourselves with another gender and we say, you know, what's happening for you? Wow, you can get aroused so quickly and it takes me so long, but it doesn't take her long. It takes her not long compared to other women. It might take her long compared to her male partner, but what she's experiencing is normal. So a lot of what we do is we do normalize, we do talk about it. And certainly, you know, there are fixes and things that they can do to help get more on the same page. Speaking purely as a male, I understand how 
my body works. I'm not even going to say male sexuality. I understand how my body works. When I was younger, the women in my life, they were shy. They didn't want to be labeled easy or slutty or anything. So they would not share what they liked. Now, it's possible that they didn't know. It's possible that they didn't feel safe to communicate with me. There's a lot going on here. Mm. But I noticed that as I got into more long-term relationships, as we matured, as we learned more about sexuality, the women in my life would say, hey, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z worked like gangbusters. (laughs) And I realized that through that communication, the way that I could be a good lover was to follow instructions. I learned as I got even older and started talking about, you know, hypersexuality and living with bipolar disorder and really starting to have these discussions that many people aren't willing to have, that many men were shocked by this. They were like, well, you did what now? You asked her and she knew? And they felt that this was odd. Mm-hmm. As a sex therapist, how would you handle all of that? Because for the average person, they're sitting there looking at their partner and thinking, I don't know how to help you climax. And it doesn't occur to them that the solution is to say, how do I help you climax? How do you bridge those gaps? You are hitting on something that is so important because you said, I was willing to share my experience. And I think that that's so brave and so courageous and something that both genders actually need work on in terms of sharing their own experience of their body. My experience is that it is still difficult to claim as a woman that you know your arousal template, that you know the pattern that gets you to orgasm. I recently recorded on Foreplay Radio an episode with young women in the hookup culture. And the statistics show only 10% of them in an encounter reach orgasm. And much of it is they're not about to tell this person who is brand new what they need. And then, of course, if the hookup is over, there's no experience to build on. I think there is still a cultural issue for women that says to own your body and know what you like is to be a slut, to really enjoy sex. I, too, stand on a platform, Gabe, and as a woman, talk in a sex-positive way about my desire. I have one partner and I talk about my husband and how much I want him. And then I'm what I call a sexual pursuer. I think that our attachment styles inform how we feel about sex, but I think that our relationship security helps us get to the point where we can tell our partner what it is we like and own our needs, own our arousal, own what we want from our partner and learn to communicate that. And that is something that I would say 80% of couples don't do. They don't talk to each other in that sort of explicit way that really clues their partner into what they want. They're not doing it. When you said, I am a sexual pursuer, I thought for just a nanosecond, oh, that's, that's embarrassing. That's shameful. But I like to consider myself a feminist. I am surrounded by strong women. I'm proud of saying that my wife makes more money than I do. And that doesn't embarrass me at all. My sister is a military veteran, but I want to disclose that that embarrassed me. And I'm trying to say, Hey, I'm on your side. I'm comfortable with sex. So my question in that is, what would you say to a guy like me? Because I'm really genuinely trying, but something in my upbringing in society made me for a moment think, "Uh uh-oh, that's bad. She should stop talking. And I'm trying. 
Yeah, and I, I think certainly there's probably multiple feelings in that. One, many times we don't hear women talk about their sense of internal subjective desire. We hear them talk about being turned on by being the desired object. But for a woman to have healthy eroticism that is internal, that comes from her heart and soul and body, takes some work. It takes countering the cultural expectation that she should be quiet, that she shouldn't say this. We'll be right back after these messages. Want real, no boundaries talk about mental health issues from those who live it? Listen to the Not Crazy podcast, co-hosted by a lady with depression and a guy with bipolar. Visit psychcentral.com slash not crazy or subscribe to Not Crazy on your favorite podcast player. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face session. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central. And we're back discussing sex therapy with licensed counselor Lori Watson. I mean, I didn't have some wild upbringing, and that's why I went into this field. I actually grew up very inhibited in a very sort of rigid religious culture. And for me to win and own my own eroticism was a lot of self-growth. And that's what I want to give to people, a way to talk about it that's natural, a way to own it that feels confident and normal. This is not being said from kind of Aunt B next door, right? For most people, talking frankly about sex and their desire feels really weird. It might be said from the hot girl, the comedian at the mic, but it's not being said by women who are just ordinary. And I feel like I'm an ordinary woman. I am certainly have specialization in sex therapy, but as a person, I'm rather ordinary, <laughs> Lori, in in all of this, do you think that men or women have more incorrect assumptions about sex and sexuality in our culture? Like, who gets it more wrong? I think that men get it more wrong. And it's not their fault. I think that men get predominantly their education from pornography and from experience. And so their experience tells them that sexual intercourse generally is the way to bring a woman pleasure. That's what pornography shows. I don't think that they really realize how much stimulation a woman needs clitorally to reach orgasm. I have men come in and say, you know, I've been with 30 women and none of them needed this, all this clitoral stimulation. And I'm here to tell them, unfortunately, 93% of those women were faking it because all women need this. This is how they reach climax. And men just can't believe that. And I think that's because that's what they've seen. Their experience is, I had sex. She moaned a little. I think she had an orgasm. I didn't ask her. So I assumed it was great for her, like it was great for me. End of story. Whereas I think women, they know they didn't climax. They know they didn't potentially feel connected to their partner. And so they know that the experience isn't so great, but they just don't have language to talk about it. There's a lot to unpack there, right? Because one, let's say that it's true. Let's say that this gentleman, he found his 30 in the 7% pool. 
so what? Right. The the partner that you're with now doesn't. That that's really like a hard stop right there. <laughs> Again, speaking purely as a man, I want to walk around feeling like a big shot, like I'm king of the world and sitting in a room across from a person telling me that I did not help my partner achieve orgasm. I want to distance myself from that as far as possible. But this doesn't resolve the problem, right? This shifts the blame from me to her, but this doesn't actually get us to where we both should want to be. And that's, we want a satisfying and gratifying sex life with our partner. How do you turn the tables on that? Well, I think you've nailed the reason that going to sex therapy is so scary for some men. The dread and the fear is that they're going to learn they weren't good lovers. And obviously, as a sex therapist and as a couple's counselor, I'm very sensitive to this kind of fear and try to make it very safe for couples to talk about this in non-blaming ways. So it's not his fault. It's not her fault for not speaking up. It's not their fault. I try to help them see that many times we're caught in a silent sort of world when it comes to talking about sex and how could they have learned this if they haven't really talked about it. So oftentimes I counsel the woman, you know, why don't you tell him this is a better way for me. I heard this podcast and this woman said that I would have a more powerful experience if you touched me longer and more directly on my clitoris. And that way it's not, you know, gosh, you haven't been doing it right all these years. You've left me high and dry. You know, it's a kind sort of shaping conversation that moves them on track. And I do find, Gabe, many men really want to know they're dying for their partner to tell them how to make it good for them. I don't think men are selfish. I think they're anxious. I think oftentimes men in my office say, well, gosh, you know, it's been 15 years. Why hasn't she told me? They feel heart sick that they haven't known how to turn around and how to make it good for her. The crazy thing for women is having an orgasm doesn't necessarily make a great experience. Having an orgasm and feeling emotionally connected and supported in intimacy for a woman often is the way that her bell gets rung. So you've got a man and a woman sitting in your office and the man finds out that he has not been sexually pleasing his partner for a number of years. How does the man react to that? I think it's a variety of reactions. Sometimes there's real relief. Like finally, finally, Lori, you've got her to tell me and I can now fix this and I can find a pathway that works for her. You know, I think some of the difficulty is when women are not pleased sexually, so they tend to diminish libido. They turn their libido off. So we have two problems now. We have a woman who has not been aroused and we have a woman now who has low libido. So it's complicated because we have to turn both areas back on in her. Whereas for men, when they are not getting the response from their female partner and they don't get enthusiasm and excitement, when they ask their partner for sex and she kind of rolls her eyes and says, again, you know, that's demoralizing. And so when he has had that experience over and over, oftentimes He's not a good seducer anymore. He doesn't bring the game. And so this becomes a cycle that's a negative pattern between the two of them. It's a negative cycle. One of them is usually sexually withdrawing. The other is sexually pursuing. And by the time they get to my office, the person who was sexually pursuing 
feels really discouraged. It's like, no matter what I do, Lori, I, I can't turn her on. There's no way I can get her to want sex. And so when it comes down to, well, the pattern itself has not been that good for her, that's a lot of relief. It's like, oh, well, let's fix that. I can do that. They want to fix the problem. So when that's all it is, oftentimes they can put aside their pride and say, well, gosh, you know, if you'd told me 15 years ago, we'd have been having a lot of fun. I think there's a stereotype in our society that people would expect the the man to blame the woman, be angry. And what you're describing is that the man is upset, the man is embarrassed, or the man is relieved. And I think that goes against what we think is happening behind those closed doors. We expect there to be some aggressive, angry male blaming a poor woman who can't speak for herself. And what you're describing seems to be the complete opposite of that. You have two frustrated people for different reasons who are desperately trying to connect sexually in incompatible ways, and you help lead them to a compatible method where their sex life becomes better and they're both participating in that process as equals. And and, and I think that society in general doesn't think that's what's happening in a sex therapist's office. (laughs) That's so true. I mean, I think sex therapy sounds really scary. It conjures up images of Barbara Streisand and Meet the Flockers as kind of crazy, kooky woman. And I think sex therapy, I know people are anxious. You know, I live in the South. We're really uptight about sex down here. And so I know that when people are coming in to see me, they have probably never talked to another soul about their sex life. So we spend a lot of time just getting comfortable. My room looks like a living room. People walk in oftentimes, Gabe, and they're like, oh, I didn't know what it would look like in here. You know, they're really afraid there's going to be an exam table or there's going to be kinky toys out or something. And You know, sex therapy is talk therapy. There's no nudity. There's no sexual touching between the therapist and the client. It's all psychotherapy. We're helping them find each other and find a path through to each other. Lori, this has been wonderful. I I could talk for another hour about this because, again, there's just so much ground to cover And for folks who want to hear more, they can listen to you on 4Play Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. I know you have a co-host over there. It really is a great show. And you've also written a number of great books from Wanting Sex Again, How to Rediscover and Heal a Sexless Marriage. And you write all over the place. You can even check you out on WebMD. Lori, how do folks find you? And I'm going to assume that your books are on Amazon, but you have your own web presence. Yes, yes. So awakenloveandsex.com is the way to find me. That's my website. Certainly the podcast has links to be able to contact me. So I'm a stone's throw away. If you type in Lori Watson, sex therapy, I come up everywhere. I'm easy to find. Lori, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you illuminating us on the realities of sex, the type of sex that isn't salacious and get billboards and pop culture and late night cable TV references, you know, the type of sex that all of us are actually having that we're just not publicly discussing in a meaningful way. Well, thank you. I appreciate getting the word out and you hosting me. I'm, I'm really honored that you invited me and I would be glad to be back sometime.
Lori, thank you so much. This is definitely a discussion that needs to be had, and I suspect that you will absolutely be back in the future. And remember, listeners, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere, simply by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. We will see everybody next week. You've been listening to the Psych Central Podcast. Want your audience to be wowed at your next event? Feature an appearance and live recording of the Psych Central Podcast right from your stage. Email us at show at psychcentral.com for details. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Psych Central is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website run by mental health professionals. Overseen by Dr. John Grohall, Psych Central offers trusted resources and quizzes to help answer your questions about mental health, personality, psychotherapy, and more. Please visit us today at psychcentral.com. To learn more about our host, Gabe Howard, please visit his website at gabehoward.com. Thank you for listening, and please share widely. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.